My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. All right. Well, welcome to Our Sunday School. If you've got your Bibles, and I trust that you do, and if you don't, there's one on the table. But if you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Um, and we will start this week with the question that we ask uh, each and every week that is highlighted at the top of your handout. And if you kept your handout from last week, it's the same handout as this week, just FYI. I just changed the dates at the top to make it look like we knew this was going to be a two-week lesson when I didn't for sure. Zeke, can you hear me clearly in the back? You can? Excellent. All right. All right. So the question is, what is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, sir. Albert? Helping you realize you know nothing. That's a a fantastic place to be, isn't it? Yeah. There's freedom in that, too, from a, uh, uh, it's not on you to, to be Jesus, right, with infinite knowledge, and to rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, going to keep His promise and teach. Yeah, awesome. What else? Somebody else? Ooh, can you say that again? When it comes to Jesus, but acting immediately is needed. Acting immediately is needed. Hmm. I'm going to have you say it one more time. When it comes to Jesus, acting immediately is needed. Oh, that's a good one. Yep. And do we always do that? No. Do we rarely do that? Like, yeah. Very good. All right, one more. Somebody else got one? Yes, Michelle. We need to be intentional. Jesus was intentional? What? Really? I mean, it helps when you know all things, right? But was still very, very intentional. Uh, And we may, in fact, thank you. I'm going to transition from that one. Uh, We may, in fact, see that in today's text. So, you ready? You got your Bibles? They open to Mark chapter 3. So as I say, often feel free to either listen, because I find it very helpful just to listen to somebody else reading the Scripture. Um, It is freeing from a trying to do too many things at once. Uh, Or feel free to read along. I'm reading out of the ESV. Um, And today's text that we'll be looking at, uh, the handout covers from uh, verse 20 through verse 30. And we'll really be picking up about verse 27 where we left off uh, last week. So, hey. Special attention to those verses as we get to them. So, so far in Mark, uh, we've been introduced to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was baptized. He was tempted. He began his ministry. He called his disciples. He heals. He heals. He heals. He preaches. He heals. He calls some more. Uh, He answers questions. uh, And then he gives uh, this wonderful little uh, description of who he is at the end of chapter 2. And then we go right into chapter 3 with these words. 
Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For, they were saying... He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. All right. So Bible study. Oh, welcome more. There we go. It's nice when I look up and the room is full all of a sudden. That's cool. Um, In case you're wondering, when people come in while I'm reading Scripture, like, I'm doing this. So y'all just help as needed. Uh, Heads up, we've got a chair here, two there, one there. That's great. 
We may need more. So those of you that have been duly appointed to handle that, as you see people come in, if you would handle that, that would be fantastic. So thank you for that. Uh, and welcome this morning. We're glad you're here. So we're going to start with verse, uh, we'll start with uh, 22 and kind of walk into this particular section just to review real quick. Uh, so at the, the middle of page 87 of your handout, uh, so it says in the scribes, who came down from Jerusalem. So if you know anything about the New Testament geography, uh, you know that there are uh, higher places and lower places in Israel, and, and Jerusalem is a higher place. Uh, now, it's, it's interesting because these scribes come down. Do they come down to tell Jesus he's doing a great job? Like you are, you are just, we're going to say amen, this is wonderful. Is that it? No, Luke says no. Luke, you are correct. Very good. Uh, but the scribes come down to do what? To criticize. And what, what's the word that's used in today's text? Starts with a B. Blaspheme, right? Yeah. They come down to blaspheme Jesus. Which I think is very, it's, one, it's really sad, right? Because they're coming down from this high place of uh, what they would consider to be authority to come and to blaspheme the Son of God. And at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book, uh, the Son of God goes up to Jerusalem to redeem those who said these things against Him. So you see the contrast between the work of the scribes and the work of Jesus just in the elevation in their message as they go. So I don't want you to miss these literary things that Mark is doing. But the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, this is imperfect tense, so it's uh, something that's been repeated in the past time and continuing in the present time. He is possessed by Beelzebul. Right? We talked about this a little bit last week, this, this one of the names of Satan, this dung god. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And so Jesus calls them, these scribes, to him and says to them uh, in parables. Now, I would love to stop right here and talk a lot about parables and how we're going to use parables and what they are and how they're engaged in the narrative of Mark. But in chapter 4, we get to that. Like Jesus actually calls out why he does that. So we're going to save that for then, and we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks. Or maybe five, I don't know. Uh, so you, you guys know how this goes, right? So how can Satan cast out Satan? Right? So he starts asking these series of questions. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. It has. Uh, we looked at this last week, the no dunamai, the no power, the no... Uh, ability. There's no, there's no possibility that you can have this happen. We talked about this being if you had an actual kingdom and parts of it are divided against itself, warring against itself. That's what we call civil war. This is not peacetime. Verse 25, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Um, some of us uh, are familiar with houses that have not been able to stand, um, uh, that have not been able to endure because there was division uh, in the houses, in verse 26, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But, and here's my favorite part of this whole passage, well, maybe my second favorite part, but is coming, present indicative active, it is a statement of fact, the indicative from the perspective of the, the speaker, this is going to happen. He is coming to an end, which, if you have read the end of the book, is what is going to happen. It is wonderful, wonderful news. He is coming to an end. And now we get to where we're kind of picking up today. So verse 27, this is the 
top third of page 89 of your handout. The reason I use color on the handout um, is because it helps me trace where the, the actual Bible words are when I'm jumping through the specific text. So uh, if you're looking at the red words, uh, so he gets to verse 27, he says, But no one can enter a strong man's house. So this word for strong man, we've actually already seen it in, in uh, Mark 1, 7. So turn back a page or two. Mark 1, 7. I'm going to ask you a super simple question. So Mark 1, 7. This is, uh, uh, this is the description of John the Baptist, right? And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So who is John the Baptist talking about? Jesus, yes, all right. The first question of the day in Sunday school should be Jesus, right, Luke? All right, good. You have to start easy. This is an educational principle, Luke. You start easy, and then you build up more difficulty as people wake up, right? Now, sometimes after you start easy, you have to say something truly shockingly provocative to help people wake up, and we'll see if we can get there, okay? All right, great. So um, so who was this word used of the first time it's used in Mark? Used of Jesus, the first time it's used in Mark. Excellent. So let me read it with the way it's translated in Mark uh, 3.27. After me comes he who is a stronger man than I. I like it. Because some of us are under the mistaken impression that we have to do this. We have to do this thing. I'm thrilled that somebody has found Blue Letter Bible. That's awesome. Uh, one of my favorite websites for learning how to pronounce words that are almost impossible to pronounce any other way. Because Greek is just really hard to pronounce. So that's awesome. Uh, so some of you are like, why are you saying this? Because somebody was doing Bible study in the middle of a Bible study. <laughs> I was saying... <laughs> It's like inception level stuff right there, okay? That's good. That's good. Movie reference number one. All right. So no one can enter a strong man's house because this makes sense, right? Does this make sense? Yeah? Okay. And plunder his goods. Now, Luke, do you remember last week? Looks like I do remember last week. So for those of you wondering, uh, uh, you got curtailed. He remembered the Greek word. Yes, that's right, baby. Come on. He got curtailed. That's exactly right. This is a different word. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, and Jay's not here this morning. So uh, yeah, you want to do that again? Yeah. yeah, he's like WWE in Sunday school. Yes, it's great. No. Um, those of you who are not here last week, just watch the YouTube. It was really funny. You just see him kind of like walk by and then walk by again. It's great. Uh, so no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder or seize his goods. Now, I've highlighted the definition of goods here for you. Uh, it's a vessel, an implement, equipment, or apparatus, um, especially a wife as contributing to the usefulness of a husband.
How about that, right? All righty then. No one can seize his goods. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There's a usefulness. There's a, there's a, a complementariness here. There's a, um, there's, a, there's a very real sense in which this, uh, this idea has a, um, the togetherness is able to accomplish and do something that the singleness and the partness could not do in this particular space, which I think is pretty neat. So those of you that are married, those of you that have a wife living with you in your house, how hard would you fight if someone tried to drag your wife off out of your house? It didn't take long for you to come to that conclusion, did it? No. They are going to be met with overwhelming, and, it, and I know you fairly well, uh, rather accurate force. Um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, this is not going to go well, right? All right, so, so how are you going to overcome this? If you have this scenario, how are you going to pull this off? Unless first he binds the strong man, right? Now, if somebody comes in your house and neutralizes you, like, I was going to say, Mila is going to take them out is what's going to happen. So <laughs> for anybody watching anywhere on the Internet, don't do that. OK, <laughs> just saying. Right. Um, so plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. So Jesus actually disagrees with you. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> There you go, right? Now, yes, he is. Now, I, I want us to see something about the structure of this particular text because this is going to help us as we go through. So verses, um, verses 22, and the scribes came down. They say he's possessed. Verse 23, he starts the what? He starts the parable, Okay. So he tells the parable, he tells the parable, he tells the parable. And in verse 27, the parable is done. Okay? Parable's over at this point. Structurally, we're going to change. Jesus starts off, and <laughs> so I have seen preachers do this. And I don't know if you've ever seen preachers do this. If you've ever seen a preacher amen his own work. You ever seen a preacher amen? Okay. Apparently that's biblical. Because the, the Greek word Jesus uses in verse 28 is Amen. It's like, okay. Now, they used it differently then than we use it today, so there's kind of like some shakiness as far as the uh, exegesis there. So, so he says, amen. This is trustworthy. This is true. What I'm about to tell you, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. Now, there are two things that I want to point out in this text here that we typically call the, the uh, text about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want us to miss it. Uh, one is the, you see the word I've highlighted after the will be forgiven? What's the word I've highlighted after will be forgiven? At the bottom of page 89. It's passive. All right. So passive is when something is done to the subject. Active is when the subject does the action. So passive is something done to the subject. Active is something that the subject does. So let me ask you a question. Based on... This grammar, can we forgive ourselves? We cannot. So I'm going right back to what you said just a minute ago, Albert. We don't have to be Jesus. 
John the Baptist understood that there was a stronger one coming who could bear the weight of all the sin of all the world for all time so that John would not have to. This, Zeke, is great news. Right? This means we can be included. Right? It's, fantastic. it's okay to smile at this good news, right? This is good news. So, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. Okay, the children of man. I'm trying to remember what video game from my Atari that sounded yeah. like. That was awesome. It's, it's kind of like Space Invaders on like the fifth or sixth level when you beat the purple characters, but I don't... I know, right? It's just... It's, it's all right. Sometimes you got to chase one. It's all right. All right, so... Uh, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies. Now, I like using Strong's Concordance because most of the time Strong's uses definitions that are really straightforward, easy to understand. The, the challenge I have with Strong's definition here is what's highlighted, uh, vilification, especially against God. So when was the last time you used the word vilification? In It's like, I don't think that helped any, right? All right, great. Um, so I'm going to show you a new resource today. Um, hopefully some of you have seen this before. Uh, Caleb, what's the name of it? You remember? The B-Dag, right? Uh, Bauer, Danker, uh, Arndt, and Gingrich. Uh, not Newt. Uh, this is maybe Luke's granddad. I don't know. This is like a very old book. Um, but I'm going to pass this around. I'm going to take the dust jacket off of it first. Please don't lose my place in it because the, um, the words are in uh, Greek order. And there's not English that helps you figure out where you are. So when I have to go look up a word, it takes me like five minutes to find it. It's like, all right, got to think through my Greek alphabet and how you spell things. It's, it's crazy. So w what this book does, it's a really helpful tool. Uh, it's a lexicon. Uh, I won't go into all that. But this is a lexicon of the New Testament and early Christian writings. So sometimes there's not enough frequency of a specific word in the Bible for us to have a really good feel for how was this used. So what these guys did is they went back through all the early church fathers' writings and pulled out how they used the words that showed up in the Scripture. And that gives us a much fuller, more, uh, it's more volume of work to deal with so we can understand how these words function, which is super, super helpful. Now, blasphemy shows up several times in the Scripture, uh, but I'll read to you. Uh, and, and the great thing about this is that this is an exceedingly scholarly work. Like, this is it's crazy, okay? Like, crazy. I, I understand about 20% of the references in here, but they make the definition, they put the definitions in bold italics. So it's like, okay, this is really easy to see. All right, so here's blasphemy. To speak in a disrespectful way that demeans, denigrates, or maligns. Slander, revile, defame. To speak irreverently or disrespectfully of or about. Speech that denigrates. Uh, slander. Does this make sense? It's a bad thing. Yes, that's exactly right. This is not ways we should be speaking about who? About God, right? About Jesus. This is not good, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this one around. So there you go. Take that yeah, take that off. dust cover off. Yes, please. Thank you. I hate dust covers. I hate, they look really good on a bookshelf. 
there's literally no helpful function for them after that. It's just it's ridiculous. So, all right. So uh, blasphemy. I want to make I'm understand what, what we're talking about when we say blasphemy. Now, the other thing is that we actually have a couple of other references inside Mark, so we know how Mark uses blasphemy. So let's go to Mark seven twenty two. Mark seven twenty two. So we'll start with uh, verse 20. Uh, This is Jesus talking about what defiles a person. Uh, Verse 20, and he said, uh, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So where's the word for blasphemy in verse 22? Slander. That's exactly right. It's slander. Okay? Exact same Greek word. Now, if you look on your handout on page 90, if you look, the the Strong's word for blasphemy is uh, 988, uh, blasphemia. Uh, that's That's a noun, right? And then that's vilification, especially against God. Uh, whatever blasphemies they utter. Does the word for they utter look similar to the word for blasphemy? Does 987 look similar to 988? Yes. yes it looks sh- Even the, like you can look at the Greek words and be like, yep, I see some of those squiggly things look the same, don't they? Yes, they do. That's because they basically can take a word that's a noun and turn it into a verb by changing the last couple of characters of the word. Do you see how the last couple of characters of the Greek word are changed? That's your Greek lesson for the day. There you go. All right, we're going to come right back out of that. So whatever blasphemies, they blaspheme. You could translate it that way, but it just sounds a bit redundant. Uh, Now, this is the subjunctive. So this is the possibility of a thing, and this is to vilify or to speak irreverently of. Uh, This occurs, obviously, in in 2.7. We've seen this already uh, in 2.7, and uh, the... the, the, uh, the Opposition crowd here in 2.7 says, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. So Jesus has already been accused of being blaspheming earlier in Mark. And then Mark 15.29, flip over there. It's the last time it's used. Mark 15.29. So this is the crucifixion. So Jesus is literally on the cross. Uh, Verse 29 says, and those who passed by... If you, I don't know. We got a rabbit trail for a second. Like you don't have anything better to do than go walk past people being crucified. I mean, this is. Think about the folks here, right? And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, "Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross." That's blasphemy, right? Everybody went and fantastic. It's bad. Right? You ought not say things like that to people like this. So here we go. So verse 28. So truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies or slander or vilifying or, or uh, they blaspheme, but whoever blasphemes, exact same word from before, it's 987, whoever blasphemes, and this is subjunctive, this is the possibility of about something in the future, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit... All right, so let's do a little Trinity work for just a second. Is the Holy Spirit God? That was too weak. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. 
Yes. There we go. Yeah, I like this. That's good. This is good for us. The Father put the Spirit inside of us. We really want Him to be God. <laughs> right? This would be bad if the, if the Holy Spirit was not God. Right? Is Jesus God? Yes. Is the Father God? Yes. How many gods are there? One. Oh, you guys are fantastic. That's awesome. Yes. The early church councils would be so proud of you. They'd be so proud of you. Now, three more questions. Is the Father the Holy Spirit? Some of you are like, this is a trick question. It's not a trick question. And the answer is no. Is the Father the Holy Spirit? No. All right. Is the Father the Son? No. Is the Son the Holy Spirit? No. You're like, you're starting to make my head hurt. Yes. Welcome to theology. <laughs> so whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never... Now, I want you to notice something here for a second. Most of the time, I think I can say most. I'm looking at you, Mitch. I think most of the time, there's a relatively one-to-one correspondence between there's a Greek word, there's an English word or phrase. This is a bit unusual. Because do you notice I have highlighted three different numbers after the word never? There's three different Greek words that we kind of smash together to say never. There's a... There's a lot going on in this never. So what's going on in this never? All right, so the first word is uh, no, right? And the second word is ice. Uh, And on the the back page of your uh, handout is our preposition chart that we talked about last time. Uh, And uh, that's what this is. This is the, um, uh, the ice is here, and it means into, right? So it means into. So we're going to come back to this in just a second. So never. So no into age or perpetuity or the world. So there's, there's no end to this. Right? Now I want you to notice one more thing. But whoever blasphemes against. Now the word for against, you see it's highlighted in blue there on your handout? It's the word ice. It's a preposition. It's into. This is directly into. This is not, ooh, I accidentally did. No, 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 no. This is like there is a, an object that this action is directly going into. Everybody clear with me on this one? This is not a, oh, man, whoops. No, no, no. This is, this is the direction of this action. All right, so whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. And how do we translate forgiveness? Forgiveness is uh, a theist. Uh, thesis, sorry. Uh, it just means freedom or pardon. It's the idea that we are guilty before God and uh, we are in need of a pardon. Would you agree that's true? Yes. You seem weak on this theolo- theological point. Would you agree that this is true? That we are guilty and we are in need of a pardon? Yes, very much so. Very much so. So we are in need of a pardon. And this is what the, Jesus is saying. If, you, if whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty. So this is did not get the pardon of an eternal or perpetual sin. And it's the same word sin uh, <clears throat> as we've seen earlier. And then we come to verse 30. For... Now, do you see I've highlighted a word after the word for? The word because, right? 
Now, if Jesus says some bit of text, and the Bible says it's because somebody was saying something, what do you think Jesus said the bit of text for? Because they said something very specifically, right? Verses 28 and 29 are a response. They're the summary of the parable from 23 to 27. That is a response of the attack on Jesus and his particular source of power. Right? You see how the you see how this structures together? Is everybody with me so far? You're like, I'm not sure that I am. It's okay. Just hang tight. We're going to close the loop here in just a second. Verse 30. For because they were saying... Who was the they? It's the scribes, right? These scribes that had come down from where? On high to tell us all what the right answer is. Right? You ever worked with anybody like this? Oh, boy. I've got the right answer. I'm going to set you straight. Oh, I'm going to stretch you straight. God help us for we are those people, right? So because they were saying, this is something that had been going on before they actually showed up, because they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. So why did Jesus tell the parable? Josh? He, yes, he is. And they're saying what? He's an unclean spirit. They're saying the exact opposite of what is true. The exact opposite of what is true. And some of you are like, well, what do we do with that? Well, I would encourage us uh, not to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And some of you are thinking, well, like, have I ever done that on accident? All right, guys, directly into, right? And, and I'm not going to take all of my theology that I believe about the Bible and draw it from Mark chapter 3 in these verses, because we also believe in this thing called the eternal security of the believer, right? Where if Jesus has taken a dead person and brought them to life through the power of the gospel, you are a new creature, New, new creation. <laughs> I was like, that didn't sound right at all. No. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be, <laughs> pause here for... <laughs> if you are a new creation, you can't be dead again. Okay? You can't go back and be dead again. Jesus is not going to say, whoop! You did this. I'm pulling my grace back. It's not how my Jesus works. And it's not what this means. So don't let this terrorize you into worrying about your salvation. Because that's not where he's going here. Who was he talking to? Was he talking to people who were already saved? No, he was not. Okay? Rest in the finished work knowing there is nothing we can do that can pluck us out of the Father's hand. And I am so thankful for that. This should give us confidence in Jesus' saving power, in the Father's commitment to His plan, in the Holy Spirit's uh, 
incessant indwelling of his children, because this is a good thing. So let me make sure we got our theology right here, Luke. Okay, Did Jesus have unclean spirits that were allowing him to do miracles? <laughs> yes. Do you see his, his brows even furrowed like, no, don't say that. Yes, that's right. Who did Jesus have empowering and emboldening the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. The Trinity works together to accomplish the Trinity's plan, and it is beautiful. So, with that, next week, you're one blank on your handout. <clears throat> on page 91, there's a, on next week, we'll start with Mark uh, 3.31, 3.31, we'll go there. And again, I think I mentioned this last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that, that uh, piece of paper on page 92, this picture I've got up behind me right now, that's a really helpful piece of paper to pull out and put in the back of your uh, little copy of Mark as a good resource when we get to prepositions and we see how things interact and how things connect and how things relate and what this uh, relational uh, component of prepositions and how it works in Greek. Uh, super, super helpful piece of paper. So with that, uh, you should have a weekly update on your table uh, that you are sitting at. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to lean in, engage, pray as a table. After you have prayed as a table, you are dismissed to go and to worship this one, this one who does not wag his finger at his children. So thanks for coming to Sunday school today, guys. Welcome to the addendum to this Sunday School lesson. I had a couple of really, really good questions that were asked right after class was over, and I wanted to make sure we got those answers in, what the Scripture says about those questions and those answers, uh, before moving on to the next part of the text. I also wanted to explain my t-shirt for this week, because that's always a lot of fun. So the first question that was asked uh, was, uh, can this sin, this, uh, this sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, be committed today? It's a great question, and I would point uh, us back to the text for the answer. When Jesus asks, uh, when Jesus states what this sin is, he says, "But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit," and the word "blasphemes," the verb there is the subjunctive, so it's the possibility of the future. This is something that's going to be happening in the future. So, if Jesus positions the question, if he positions the sin itself in the future, could it happen in the future? Yes because of the specific words that Jesus used in this particular text. So that's one point. Uh, the other point is, uh, so why this t-shirt? So last week I wore a Parks and Rec t-shirt, and this week I'm wearing a Big Lebowski t-shirt. And both of those have a very strong political feel to them. So they're about the 2020 election. They're jokes. They're, I think they're funny because I like wearing funny t-shirts. But uh, they're both joke-oriented shirts. And it's reason, the reason because I'm wearing these is because the question that we should be asking about why the scribes were ascribing to Jesus this uh, demonic influence. And uh, I would position, uh, as we see this unfold throughout the rest of uh, the Gospel of Mark, is it is for political purposes. Um, they had a high lofty position in um, in the religious society at that time, uh, they, of, uh, as compared to anyone, should have understood who the Messiah was based on their physical copying down the text of years and years and years of doing this. 
uh, and they missed who Jesus was, either intentionally or uh, accidentally, but they missed that he was, in fact, the Messiah, uh, but not to come and to rule and to reign at that time. That happens uh, in the future and not then. So this is my attempt at uh, reminding myself that I forgot to do during the lesson, that the, the reason, uh, at least one of the reasons that the scribes were uh, saying he is possessed by Beelzebul was for political purposes. So with that, that's the actual end of our Sunday school. And uh, look forward to starting in verse 31 of Mark chapter 3 next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.